This audio is brought to you by muslimcentral.com. A special to you that you share with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and no one else. Like the wahi. And they are righteous dreams. Righteous dreams from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sometimes when you're a t- I hear this because I'm a teacher as well. And these teenagers come to me every year. I have the same year nines. <laughs> I'm stuck with the year nines, guys, every year. It's that critical age. And it's like they never change, but I forget that they've moved on. So I get the same ones over and over again. Teenagers are the same. And one of the things they always tell me, I hear this a lot. Sir, I never used to see so many dreams. Now I see too many dreams. Some of them say, I don't see anything. But a lot of them say, I see the day of judgment. I see this and I see that. Subhanallah, it's as if when you hit puberty, the shaitan comes to want to destroy you know, your pathway, make you feel like something's wrong with you. Then Allah brings you dreams as well to help you be guided, a warning or a guide or something good to give you maybe a sign that you are going good. You, you remember those dreams? You've had those nice dreams? I haven't had some in, in, in a while. Maybe, maybe three days ago was a nice dream, but long time before that. I just wish those dreams would come. They make you feel something special, don't they? Anyway, imagine you went to your dreams and went back to the Prophet ﷺ, and you're looking for him. Where do you think you'll find him? Where you will find him? Where do you think? Where's the first place to look? Let's say you don't know how he looks like. You it looks like you don't know where it is you've never been to Makkah or Medina how do you know <laughs> but you went back 1400 years ago and the first thing you think about oh, Rasulullah where is he where do you go without asking anyone anyone want to guess the masjid no huh not the Kaaba no no hmm ah ahsant well done with the poor people that's what the Sahabas used to say if we ever looked for Rasulullah outside of Salat time, because you know, a Muslim doesn't, have, doesn't stay in the, in the masjid all the time. That's not a productive Muslim to stay in the masjid all the time. Rasulullah if he had nothing else to do at home or his other duties, he was at the masjid. But you will find him with the poor people. And he used to say, I love the poor people the most. And the most people of Jannah are the people who used to be poor here. Something secret about them. Allahu A'lam. And not everybody can handle being poor. <laughs> Have you ever heard someone making that statement? Nobody, not many people can handle being wealthy. I say, not many people can handle being poor. Like you think you, you think you deserve to be poor? It's like that. Poverty now seems a, a blessing, but only for some people. Allah says, no one will receive it, Jannah, except those who are absolutely patient. Those who are endured with great fortune. When you... Rasulullah used to look for the poor people and used to be sitting, sitting amongst them. So let's look at the mentality today. If Allah loves you, He makes you rich with money. Here is the Prophet praising the poor people who are righteous, of course. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loved people based on the blessings He gives them, then why? Rasulullah himself was not wealthy. He didn't even like it. The other way around as well. 
If Allah loves only the poor people of wealth, why would he give Dawood and Sulaiman and Yusuf among the greatest kingdom on earth? If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not love, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loved you only when you see someone healthy, then why did he make Prophet Ayyub so sick for so many years? Even some people used to say, look at this man Ayyub. If he hadn't done something terribly wrong, Allah would not put him through this hardship. Isn't that correct? And people moved away from him. They isolated him because they didn't want to get jinxed by him. They thought he's a non-righteous man, evil man. We don't want to get this, you know, mirrored into our family. Some people live long. Allah must love them. Some people live short. What have they done? If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's love for a person is a sign that you live long, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would not allow Fir'aun to be in his kingdom and sit live long. In fact, he preserved his body so that no one can ever forget him. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not like a person, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took someone's life early, which meant that he doesn't love him, he wouldn't take the Prophet sallallahu child. Al-Qasim and Ibrahim at the age of two years old. So my brothers and sisters, love of Allah is not based on the amount of blessings you have in this world or the lack of it. It has nothing to do with that. Have you ever heard of happiness and contentment? The difference between happiness and contentment is that happiness is temporary, contentment is forever. And contentment in Arabic is called qana'a. Qana'a. To be satisfied and content with whatever you have. It doesn't matter what state the Muslim is, the mu'min is, you have contentment. You don't forget Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you are in prison, you look at it as a seclusion between you and Allah. If you are out in the open, you see that Allah has given you a duty you have to give, you have to do. If you have wealth, it means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you responsibility to use that wealth in some good way. If you don't have wealth, it means Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is testing you with poverty and you're going to learn from it for others. Because the biggest people who really are the most humble, you'll find the homeless people. You give them, they give for some reason. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you children, it means he's testing you with your children somehow. Or he is honoring you with the children, but it's a responsibility. He gets you married, it's a responsibility. But comes all the blessings come with it. If he keeps you single, again, it's a responsibility. Whatever it may be, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving you tests and responsibilities. And with it, you will rise or fall. It's up to you. But here's the thing. Allah will not bear you more than what you can bear. Allah will not burden a soul with more than what they can bear. This is a promise from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then how come some people say, I can't bear it anymore? Brothers and sisters, this is you making that decision. Wallahi, this is us making that decision. There are so many YouTube clips from non-Muslims who have learned from us, from the past, how to motivate people to move forward and not give up. But Allah sent the Messenger to teach us that from the beginning. Yaqub said to his, his children, who tried to kill his own son Yusuf after many years. He said to them, Do not give up from the mercy of Allah. Don't despair from the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
The only ones who give up on Allah's mercy are the disbelievers in Allah because they don't trust Allah's mercy. Those are the people who say, what have I ever done for God to do this to me? What have I ever done so God doesn't give me and gives the other person? These are people who deny Allah's favors and blessings. These are the ones who despair from His mercy because they don't have any trust in His mercy, subhanahu. And he said to his sons, don't. And look what Allah SWT gave them. Look what he gave Yusuf salam. And what Yusuf salam said in the end, after all the dungeon, all the prison, all the hardship, what did he say on his throne? Rabbi, my Lord, you are the one who gave me this kingdom. And you are the one who taught me the knowledge that I know. Oh Allah, I ask you only to make me die as a Muslim and make me join with the righteous. You know, al-hiqni in Arabic means someone's ahead of you and you're running up to them. You're chasing them. You're in the back row. Yusuf salam, the Prophet of Allah, says, Oh Allah, even in the back row, I'm happy with that. Let me follow the righteous. This is a form of humbleness. That if you think that you are such a righteous person and you boast about that, then these are the people who actually forget Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because when you think of yourself too good, you fail. And when you think of yourself too low, you'll never rise. But stay somewhere in the middle. My brothers and sisters in Islam, so what are the signs of Allah's love for you? And what are the signs in you that you love Him? The first is that you are a voluntary follower, meaning no one's forcing you. You are a voluntary follower of the message of the messenger Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Allah says in the Quran, "Qul in kuntum tuhibbun Allah fattabi'uni yuhibbukum Allah." Allah says, say, if you love Allah, then follow me. Follow Muhammad sallallahu and Allah will love you in return. Following the Prophet sallallahu Allah loves you. Now following the Prophet sallallahu is how? Is it just in the, in the white thawb? In my beard? In the miswak? In the hat? In that that I eat with my hands, or I sleep on my right? No. Ittiba'a Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi is what he said in the following hadith. You want to know? After the worship, we all know the worship and the sunan of worship. He said, Atadruna manil Muslim. He said to his companions, Do you know what a Muslim is? They said, Allah wa Rasuluhu a'lam. Allah and His Messenger know best. He said, Al Muslimu man salima lisanahu, man salimahu nasu. A Muslim is someone whom the people are safeguarded from his or her tongue and his hands. Then he said, Atadruna mal mu'min? Do you know what the mu'min is? A bit higher than a Muslim? Believer? They said Allah and His Messenger know best. He said, Al mu'minu man aminahu nasu ala amwalihim wa anfusihim. A mu'min is somebody whom people feel safe with their wealth and their honor and self with them. They can trust them with their wealth and their honor.
You do business with them, they're not going to cheat you. They're not going to lie to you. They're not going to deny themselves, their family, their children, their bodies, their honor. You won't backbite them. You won't gossip about them. You won't tell about their secrets. You won't harm them. When you get angry, you won't hit them. You won't abuse them. Sometimes you look at people and you find them like that, don't you? You think, subhanAllah, you know what? I will never deal in business except with that person. And sometimes people tell you, if you ever want to deal in business with anyone, go to that person. You heard that? That person. And it's like people don't really know them, but they hear all this good about them, right? And everybody starts to point to that person. No, my dear brothers and sisters, if you are like that, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed your acceptance in earth. He has made you a trustworthy person whom the angels love. Why? Because people can trust you with their bodies, their honor, and their wealth. Then he said, Wal Mujahid, and the one who does jihad, he or she is the one who strives against themselves in continuing to worship Allah and obey Him as much as they can. And he who migrates really, the one who truly migrates is the one who migrates from their sins and their mistakes. Meaning, not all sins, the major sins. You have a bad habit of sin and finally you're able to migrate from it and never return to it. As for minor sins, my dear brothers and sisters, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives them so long as you continue to do your acts of worship. Any tiny little good deed that you do without taking it for granted is a sadaqah. Even Mu'ad said, Ya Rasulullah, he said, if I say la ilaha illallah, is that a good deed? He said, among the best deeds, Ya Mu'ad. Just say la ilaha illallah, it wipes away your little sins. One man said, Ya Rasulullah, I touched a woman. He said, I touched her. <laughs> That's a legacy, that one. MashaAllah. My brothers and sisters, I'm sorry I embarrassed him. And so Rasulullah, he said to him, you touched a woman? He said, what do you mean you touched a woman? He said, I touched her. He says, did you do zina? He says, no. He says, did you do the stuff that husband and wife, he goes, no, I didn't do that. So just touched her and hugged her. He said, pray your salat, do your good deeds and wipe it away. Now I can hear the young people using this as an excuse. I can hear you, you're saying it just by thinking I can hear it. Does that mean that I can do haram, just pray and it's all gone? Obviously not. You can't trick Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is telling this young man who has this energy and hormones. He's telling him, go to do good acts. Because good acts, what they do is they are rehabilitation. They clean you and they clean your mentality and they make you feel embarrassed. Because when you become better and you remember Allah, you are more likely to not return to that sin and to feel ashamed of it. But if you don't follow up a good deed, then there's no rehab. We've all told our children these things, don't we? Get off the phone, get off the PlayStation, get off the game. Words don't work with kids. They just laugh at you. Get off, yeah, all right. You've got to seriously put restrictions and replace it with something else that gives them the same or similar rewards. Something else that, that they enjoy. My brothers and sisters in Islam, therefore, whoever follows the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Allah loves them.
طيب السكند وان ذا وانز هو هامبل اند ايزي وذ ذير براذرز اند سيسترز ان اسلام الله سبحانه وتعالى if you do not if you do not strive and struggle in the cause of Allah Allah will exchange you with another people whom he loves and they love him and then he describes them adillatan ala almu'minin they are humble with their brothers and sisters a'izzatan a'izzatan ala alkafirin and those who are enemies of Islam they are honorable against them they don't they not they don't put their heads down to them now they're aware with the believers they are humble now some brothers and sisters that i've heard of not everyone not everyone shall i'm not here I've seen it happen before when the dunya creeps into our hearts and the love of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is kind of there only lip service not really in your heart i come to you and i say brother how much do you want for the car you say well brother ten thousand dollars I said, what are you talking about? I saw it for 9,000 over there. He says, خلاص, brother, take it for 9,000. Then I say to you, give me a better, a better deal than 9,000. How about 8,000? He says, brother, I can't. This is it. And then I say to you, brother, you've got to love for your brother what you love for yourself. I start blackmailing you with the hadith. I use the din to blackmail my brothers and sisters. This is the opposite of humbleness. Subhanallah, that sahabi, I think it was Abu Musa al-Ash'ari, Allahu A'lam, I'm not, don't hold me to it. He went to buy a camel, okay, back 1,400 years ago. He went to buy a camel from another companion, from a Muslim, a Mu'min. He says, how much do you want for the camel? He says, give me uh, five dinars. He looks around at the camel. He says, no. He says, less? Because now I think it deserves more than that. I'll give you six. He says, take it for six. He goes, just a second. He's looking at it. Obviously, when you're going to buy a car, you have to look around and check it. He's checking the camel a little bit more. He says, no, no. I think, I think it needs seven, seven dinars. Will you accept seven? No, why not? And the Sahabi kept going around the camel more and more. The more he saw this camel, or was it a horse? The point is, he saw that it was worth much more than five, double its amount. He says, I'll give you 10 dinars for it. He says, you've given me double. He says, yes. For I heard the Prophet wasallam say, you will not receive piety until the love for your brother what you love for yourself. If I was selling this horse or this camel, if I was selling it, I will know that it's worth much more than that. And I would want more. So I'm giving you more. One brother I saw today, he's buying manush. You know what manush is? Any Lebanese people? Manush? Ar Arabs? Egyptians? Yeah, do you say manush? El manushda. Yeah, like that, the dough. He's buying manush for tomorrow on Eid. Buying lots of manush. The brother loves him. I could tell he likes him for one reason. Because the other brother is religious. Yani, the word religious is not the right word, but we can say a man who loves Allah and he loves that he loves Allah. The man who is selling him said, for example, $200. What a lot. He goes, take it for 150 
The other brother looks at him and says, Wallahi, I'm giving you 210. I'm going to give you more. He says, No, ya akhi, give me less. You take more. Wallahi, ya akhi, I just want less. Wallahi, I'm going to give you more. It's very rare to see people arguing the opposite of everyone else. He said, Islam Islam began strange. And Islam will come back strange the same way it started. Glad tidings to those who are strangers. This is one of the meanings of strange. Like that. Who does that these days? They'll call you crazy. But no, no, no. You have a feel, you have something inside of you, richness that no one else has. Who else does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala love? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves the one who finds himself or herself attached to the places and the people whom Allah loves. You feel comfortable when you're at the masjid. You feel comfortable with the people of the masjid. You see someone who looks a person, a woman or a man of deen, you feel comfortable, you feel at peace. You feel comfortable when the Qur'an is, is recited. You feel comfortable when somebody reminds you of something that Allah loves. You like it. You actually love it. This is a type of person who has a sign of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's love to them. My brothers and sisters in Islam, listen to this beautiful hadith. I've said it before, but it's amazing and really suits this point. That in Bukhari, Sahih Bukhari, Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Man li waliyan, takes one of my righteous worshippers as an enemy, you are bad to them. فَقَدْ آذَنْتُهُ بِالْحَرْبِ I, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying, I have declared war against that person. So be careful, my dear brothers and sisters. We don't know who is the righteous person of Allah. He's not necessarily a famous person. Not necessarily a person that anyone knows. Not necessarily a person that you see all the time in the masjid. Not necessarily. You might see them, they might go to other masjids. Maybe a sister, she doesn't go to the masjid at all. I don't know. Maybe she goes sometimes, maybe she goes at night. But these are people who are inconspicuous. You don't actually know. They're not out there to show off. And sometimes some people who are popular and famous, they're also people of Allah. But what I'm saying to you is that you don't, we don't really know who they are. Not, not clearly. Could be you. Could be me. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us all among them. So whoever is an enemy to one of these righteous people, I have declared war against them. So be very careful, my brothers and sisters. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and there is nothing that my worshiper comes closer to me, more beloved to me. The thing that I love the most that he comes closer to me with than the things which I have made compulsory upon him or her. See this fara'id that we pray, the fard that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made fard and said there's a punishment if you don't do them anymore. Like the five daily prayers for example, the five pillars of Islam. Why did Allah make them fard? He made them fard because he loves them the most. He refuses to make something he loved the most as an option.
because he wants you to come closer to him sometimes my father says you have to call me every single day at this time I've got this and that. I'm not accepting any excuse you have to call us always at this time why because your parent loves you he's teaching you how to respect your father and mother to connect with them because if you don't you're going to be unhappy if you don't connect your family ties you're an unhappy person subhanallah unless of course there are exceptions here so then he said and my worshiper keeps coming closer to me with what so he come closer to Allah with the fard prayers and then some people keep getting even closer after the fard prayers with what with voluntary acts bin nawafil so sunnah prayers are voluntary acts fasting are voluntary days other than ramadan is, is is nawafil right doing umrah is a nafila doing sadaqah is a nafila anything that you're not asked to do you don't have to do it you do it wallahi al-azim wallahi al-azim even directing someone lost on the street how to get to the shops or how to get to somewhere is a sadaqah muslim or non-muslim that's the hadith of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam Giving water to a bird is sadaqah. Avoiding walking near a colony of ants that you see in the park, you avoid it. Like you want to light up a barbecue, you see a colony of ants, you go, let's not do it here, let's do it over there. Is a sadaqah. Can you imagine an angel coming down to give you hasanat just for choosing to move away from the colony of ants or bees? Something so insignificant anyone can do it, subhanallah. Although if she likes it smiling to your brother's face a sister smiling to her sister's face a husband and wife looking at each other brothers and sisters i didn't even say smile to each other but good in a good look just the husband looking at his wife and the wife looking at her husband listen to what the prophet said if the husband looks at his wife and the wife looks at her husband Allah looks at both of them with the look of mercy. Is it hard to get to Jannah? Now that we think of it. You grab the vacuum cleaner. And you vacuumed your room or the lounge. You didn't do a good job with it. How old are you? Seven year old. What's your name? Mudakir Dakhil Allah. You know what mudakkir means? What? A mudakkir is the one who reminds others of Allah. May Allah bless your parents for naming you that name. My brothers and sisters in Islam, mudakkir grabs the vacuum. He doesn't know how to use it very well and starts vacuuming. He gets rewards and his parents get rewards. He's helping his parents, but his parents also get rewards for raising. You as an adult, you do the same thing. You get rewards. Subhanallah. And it's countless. Directing someone to the tap to make wudu, your reward is there. A person who can't see something wants to read it. Wallahi, it's in the hadith, literally. It says a person who can't see well, and you read something for them. Your grandfather, your neighbor, a person on the street waiting at the bus stop, someone says, can you help me read this? Is a sadaqah. So my worshiper keeps coming closer to me with these little voluntary acts. 
until I love him in a special way. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has two types of love. The love that is for everyone and the special love that is only for specific people. The love that he has for everyone is that he loves for them to be guided and not go to hellfire and to come closer to him. So he brings to them signs. Wallahi, even the, the non-Muslim, he brings them signs all the time. Everybody. And then there's a special love. Those are the ones who deserve it like this. Then Allah says, As soon as I love him a special love, I become his hearing which he hears with. And his eyesight which he sees with. And his hand which he uses. And his legs which he walks with. And if he asks me, I will give him. And if he sought protection from me, I will protect him. And I have never hesitated to do anything. Allah is saying, and I have never hesitated to do anything more than I have hesitated to do this. And that is to take the soul of my worshiper when he comes to die because he hates it and I hate to hurt him. يكره الموت وأنا أكره مساءته. He hates to die and I hate to hurt him. رواه البخاري. Those who love Allah, Allah uses them and employs them for good work on earth. You know, sometimes some people call you at the most awkward times and they need your help. And you answer them. You feel awkward. I mean, you know that? Allah has sent them to you, Allah has chosen you. You know, when you're tired and you go out and do an act of goodness Allah has chosen you the fact that you have the ability to do that Allah has chosen listen to the hadith of Rasulullah if Allah loves a servant a person, a worshipper he uses him or her he uses them one time this brother, he said to me, brother, I was at the masjid. I'd only been going to the masjid for about a week. And I only went there because there were some people I was meeting for marriage. Now, he used to go to another masjid, but that particular masjid, they used to meet there. He says, one day, this woman walks in, she's pregnant. And she needs help. Her husband walks in and you could tell he's had problems. This brother's there and they couldn't find the people of the masjid, the administration, the management, and they said, we need just to buy very simple furniture, at least a bed, because I'm pregnant, I just need a place to sleep. I need a bed in my home, we've got nothing, we haven't got a fridge, we haven't got food, we haven't got bed, nothing. 
this brother and his future father-in-law and his future wife I, I did their marriage about a week later they went to the closest furniture shop and bought for them a mattress some blankets in Manchester so we call it Manchester what do we call it yeah Manchester and a bed and some groceries and came back they went to their house unloaded it and left this couple is blessed till today mashallah and the other couple Allahu alam what happened to them but this was a sign for me when I looked at it wallahi sadaqa rasulullah sallallahu he is so truthful if Allah loves someone he will use them he will send those people to you when you least expect it you are special and mark my words any good you do to others it'll come back double triple mock quadruple folds in ways you least expect it Allah said whoever fears Allah and avoids doing something that is wrong Allah will open a door for them from places they least expected my brothers and sisters in Islam Rasulullah told us also that one of the signs of Allah's love is this. Are you ready for it? I'm almost done, but this is probably the hardest one to handle. The more hardships you go through and the more patient you are, the more it is a sign that Allah loves you. Man, that makes no sense. Makes no sense. It doesn't make sense to us as humans because we've been conditioned to think that way. It's negative. Allah says, You may hate something when it's actually good for you, and you may love something when it's bad for you. Rasulullah said, The amount of deeds, the, glory, the, 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 the gratification of deeds, depends on how great the hardship that you are going through is. If Allah loves the people, He will give them hardships of some sort. Whoever accepts it and is pleased with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah will be pleased with them. And whoever turns away and loses themselves and loses their connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala completely, Allah also turns away from them. So my brothers and sisters, the ones who go through hardships and are patient, patient means... You don't do, not mean you don't do anything about it. You do something about it. But what do you do? You don't abandon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You don't say, what's happening to me? I'm going to give up. Listen to what Prophet said. He said, a person keeps calling out to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then he said, do not give up. Continue and insist. For a person may be calling to Allah and then suddenly they give up on their dua and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then gives up on them. They turn away from Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would have always about to be giving them. Remember my brothers and sisters, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't give you something, maybe it's not good for you right now. Maybe what's happening to you now is something for the future. We hear all these celebrities, they talk about it, they give these motivational speeches. I mean, really they're simple to a Muslim, we hear them every day. And they say, I hit rock bottom before I can go back up. And this wall, I had to put my back towards and I saw only in front of me, man. 
And then everybody goes, that was the most motivational speech ever. We hear 10 times more motivational than that, mashallah, coming from above seven heavens. Yet these people are seeing it. We should see it too. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala never leaves anyone out. And if my worshippers ask you about me, I'm close. I'm close. I'm always close. Zakariya alayhi salam. Oh my Lord, I've never been with my dua to you unblessed nor left alone. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam also said that if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves a servant, it means that that worshipper will be loved by the angels and will be loved by everyone else on earth. If Allah loves someone, He tells Jibreel, I love certain person, so love him. So Jibreel loves him. Then He tells the angels, Allah loves so-and-so, so love him. All the angels start to love him. You know how many angels there are? Don't worry about it. You will never know. You know how many stars there are? More than the grains of sand on earth, scientifically proven. And I have a science background. Doesn't mean I know everything. I don't know astronomy. I just read that somewhere. There are more stars in the heavens than the grains of sand on earth. And there are more angels than all the stars. Rasulullah tells us the long hadith. That there is a Bayt al-Ma'mura Ka'bah up there. Ever since it was created, 70,000 angels enter it and leave. They make tawaf and they leave and they never return to it. And it's never empty. 70,000 after 70,000. How many are there? My brothers and sisters, they love this person. And then their acceptance is on earth. Wallahi, even an enemy looks at you and can't help but respect you. They'll fight you. They'll kill you and they'll say, that was a worthy fight. That was a respectful person. And they'll say good things about you. I've seen it. Historians write this all the time. They write about Salah al-Din Ayyubi, for example. How many enemies say he's a loving man, he's a respectful man. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts the love even of your enemy towards you. And lastly, and this is the best one I think for me, because I see young people here. The Prophet told us, Ashab Ataib Habibullah. Ashab the youth, boy or girl, Ataib, the one who is always seeking Allah's forgiveness. I'm sorry, Allah. I'm sorry, Allah. I'm sorry, I'm sorry again, I'm sorry again. Oh Allah, forgive me again, forgive me again. And how many times do I have to ask Allah to forgive me? I'll just keep going. Oh Allah, forgive me. And I said I'm not going to do that again, but here I am. Oh Allah, forgive me. See that person? With us, humans, me even as a parent, my son or my daughter keeps doing that. A friend keeps doing that over and over again. What's my reaction going to be? What's our reaction? Right? My God, you keep doing that all the time. You don't deserve anything. You're a beep. We say all the words under the sun. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, the one who does that is my beloved. Obviously, it's a sincere person. But you know, young people, they have a lot of hormones. And they keep forgetting and they can't have them. They've got influence sometimes. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't want to lose them. He says, come back. Atta'ib means, tawbah means, tawbah. Who knows what tawbah means? What's the literal meaning of tawbah? To come back, to return, to return. That's the meaning of tawbah. He is the beloved of Allah. She is the beloved of Allah who constantly returns back to Allah. 
always return, my dear brothers and sisters. And Allah will help you and cleanse you because He loves you. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us among His beloveds. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us feel the love that He has for us. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us the patience and the perseverance to pass through this temporary world until we meet Him subhanahu wa ta'ala. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to His Prophet, Oh Allah, may say, say it to us too. The hereafter is better for you than this former life. Soon you will come to us. Soon you will come to us. Just be patient a little longer. A little longer. It's not going to be long. You will come back to us and the hereafter is better for you than this world. Trust in Allah, my brothers and sisters. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enlighten your hearts. Thank you for listening. And Shaykh, just a humble request, if you could just quickly, in, like in a couple of minutes, summarize uh, for us the speech. Yeah, just make two or three points. Inshallah. So in summary, I'll use my notes. <clears throat> that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam loves those who believed in him but could not see him. He said, I will miss my brothers. They are the ones who have not come yet. They are the ones who believed in me but never saw me. I will see them on the fountain of Kawthar on the day of judgment because of the wudu and their salat. Secondly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who sent this messenger peace be upon him, sent him with mercy. So what does that tell us about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself? Although Rasulullah has left us, Allah is still with us. So worship Allah and trust in Him. There are signs of Allah's love in His worshippers. Number one is that you follow the Prophet in your worship and in your character and manners. The word Muslim means on top of the worship, when people feel safeguarded from your tongue and your hands. A mu'min is one who people can trust you with their wealth. A mujahid is one who does striving against themselves in order to continue worshipping. And a person who is a true migrator is one who migrates from their major sins. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves a person who is humble with believers and does not blackmail them or use manipulation against them. But they're humble to them even though they may be stronger or more powerful than them. They're forgiving. They pardon them for the mere fact that they are their brothers and sisters in Islam. The love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is for a person who focuses on their fard acts, the compulsory acts, and then continues to get closer to Allah with their voluntary acts until Allah loves them a special love. And when He loves them a special love, their eyes, ears, hands and legs only enjoy to do the things which Allah loves. And if he asks Allah, Allah will respond to him. And if he sought refuge, Allah will protect him. And Allah hates to hurt that person. And he does not hesitate more than taking his soul at death because he knows that we don't like it and he doesn't want to hurt us. Among the signs that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves you are the ones who love each other for the sake of Allah, who visit each other for the sake of Allah are the ones who humble themselves for the sake of Allah and the ones who connect their ties for the sake of Allah. Among the signs which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves you is that He puts you through more hardships which you can handle and He never gives you hardships more than what you can handle. The more you are patient with them, the more Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you trials. These trials only make you stronger 
and make you rise and make you more important and make you more content in life if you are patient with them if you are if you accept them from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and think well of Allah Allah will love you and you will find it easy but if you reject it you will find it hard and you will turn away from Allah and Allah will turn away from you among the signs that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves you is that if you are a continuous repenter you constantly return back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even if it's a thousand times a million times if you are a young person with hormones pumping and with your energy really up high and you constantly return back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for forgiveness then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves you among the things which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves you with are people whose hearts are attached to the places which Allah loves such as the masjids and the gatherings where people whom Allah loves gather when you see a righteous person or a person reminds you of Allah you love that company and you love those words and you find comfort in them among the things which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us a sign of his love to you is that people also accept you wherever you go and people love you even the enemy respects you and this is a sign that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves you among the things which you can see in yourself that you love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that you find yourself comfortable in the things which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves and you find that your ear eyes hands and legs actually feel great discomfort in the sins and the things which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hates you feel discomfort in them among the things which uh, also show us that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves you is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses you in this life in a goodly manner he employs you he sends good work to you and he is employing you because he loves you and he loves the work that you're going to do and he knows that you are going to pass it Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also shows that those who whom he loves are the ones are the ones who do not take for granted the smallest of good deeds and they look at their deen as a holistic thing in their life and not just attached to only the masjid and that's it but rather holistic and they see that their sadaqah can be done everywhere they go and anywhere they go may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us among them Amin Shaykh Jazakallah Khair there's a few questions that, that we've, we have from no. this is the Brothers Club Board we're waiting for the sisters to complete the clipboard, inshallah. Um, a question here is uh, a common question, which is especially from non-Muslims. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is loving and merciful, uh, why is there pain, injustice, and suffering in the world? My brothers and sisters in Islam, the pain and injustice in the world in itself is a mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but to others. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if he created a world where there was everything perfect then number one it does not befit him to create us in such a lowly world to be a paradise that would be cruel Allah reserved that for Jannah number two this life is actually a test to see who are deserving and who are not so there's going to be the unjust and the person who does wrong and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to sift through these people the ones who protect and defend and the ones who are oppressors and the ones who are oppressors Allah will punish them and those who defend and stand up for the right Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will reward them if there is no good and bad then you will not know the good from the bad as the poet says whoever uh, 
bad, not because I want to do the bad, but in order to stay away from the bad. And whoever doesn't know the good from the bad, they'll fall into the bad. So this world to have this, the dark and the light, the good and the bad. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordered us and commanded us, stay away from the bad. Second, another reason, my dear brothers and sisters, is that it is not Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who made people become unjust. It is not Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who made people hurt others. If people hurt others, it is their own actions. Otherwise, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would have not forbidden it and would not have made a day of judgment to punish the ones who do bad and oppress and the ones who defend and stand up. My brothers and sisters in Islam, Adam and Hawa, when Adam ate from when Adam and Hawa ate from the tree that was forbidden, there was one thing that they immediately learnt that if there wasn't an evil present, which was the shaitan, to influence them to do something evil, they would have learnt something very valuable, and that is forgiveness and mercy. Without oppression a little bit, without injustice, without wrong, without pain, we will not learn empathy, we will not learn mercy. We cannot learn forgiveness. We cannot learn generosity. We cannot learn any of these things without those negative vices. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, I created you in a world that does have pain. In fact, the Quran says, we shall put you through certain pain. Pain is how you perceive it. If you perceive pain as bad, then you have created, you have, you have made this life negative. You think of Allah negative. You think of yourself negative. A person like this cannot be productive. Allah says, pain or no pain, it does, it, there's no difference between them, except that they are both tests and they both make you grow. Sometimes, as we said before, we think that when you have a blessing, it's good. But actually, sometimes, a blessing can be the worst thing for you. We've heard of people who have absolute health, absolute wealth, absolute everything that they wish for, yet they still go on to drugs, they still commit suicide, they still are mean to people, they're still oppressive. In fact, the people who have more of these blessings, who don't connect themselves with Allah and don't appreciate these blessings, they are among the worst of the people. So my dear brothers and sisters, there is no balance in Islam of if there's pain, it's bad, and if there's health, it's good. No. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says each one of them has its merits and each one of them has its good. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, al-usri yusra. With every hardship, there are many eases. Do you know what that word means? A lot of people misunderstand. They say, after hardship comes ease. That's the wrong interpretation. The correct interpretation is, with hardship and pain, there is a package of many goodness that comes out from it. So a package comes down with pain. With that pain, so many blessings happen. That without that pain, the blessings cannot come. My brothers and sisters in Islam, the wisdom of Allah in doing so is in order to bring about those unbelievable things, those, those positive things in people, that without the negative, they won't come out. And always the example of Adam and Eve, I always think it's, is a really good example. This is a whole topic on its own. Thank you, Sheikh. Uh, how can we differentiate between Allah's test and Allah's punishment? That's a good question. <clears throat> my brothers and sisters, Imam Ibn al-Qayyim rahmatullahi alayhi is the first thing that comes to my mind. He addresses this point in his book called Adda the ailment and its cure. And he says, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings down a test, a trial, whether it is good in our eyes or bad in our eyes, for example, wealth or poverty, health or sickness. It depends on how the person receives it. If they accept it and assume of Allah well and use it to learn from it or to be patient with it and then they get out of it, then it was 
either a test or a blessing to save them from something negative in their future because they learned from it they paved a different way in their future so either good comes out of it Allah has a plan from it or it's a test but if the person receives it with by turning away from Allah blaming Allah abandoning their righteous deeds that they used to do assuming of Allah the worst changing to bad behavior and losing themselves then it is a punishment the actual trial turns into a punishment so let me repeat when Allah SWT brings down a trial it's neither a punishment or a test or a blessing it's neutral if you receive it as Allah says I will be I will react to you in the way that you assume of me to be and al-husn means positive why did Allah use the word positive because Allah is not negative and Rasulullah is to say oh Allah from you there is no bad and only good for the bad and the good is all good from you it means what we see as bad is actually good if it comes from Allah how you react to it becomes either a trial and a blessing a test or a blessing or it becomes a punishment but because of your reaction to it I hope inshallah that gives you a bit of an understanding you can do more research on that but that's the fundamental that Ibn Qayyim uses the foundation thank you Shaykh. how can you tell if Allah Taala has accepted your tawbah Allah well several of them that's a beautiful question I love it number one straight after your tawbah you've made wudu let's say you made two rakah you don't have to do it all time let's say you do that and then you admit it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala what you have done wrong and straight after it you feel a special feeling in here that rises Allah says in the Quran إِنَّمَا الْمُؤْمِنُونَ الَّذِينَ إِذَا ذُكِرَ اللَّهُ وَجِلَتْ قُلُوبُهُمْ وَإِذَا تُلِيَتْ عَلَيْهِمْ آيَاتُهُ زَادَتْهُمْ إِيمَانًا The believers are the ones who when Allah is mentioned to them, they shiver. And when His verses are recited upon them, their iman rises. So when you mention Allah and repent to Allah, your iman rises. That's the first sign. You feel a good feeling on the inside. An achievement, a strength. A positiveness it's like closest example is let's say you have a best friend all your life and then one day you did something wrong to them you expose their secret and you've almost lost their trust and they're very upset how do you feel if you love them you feel terrible and then you try everything to try and make it up to your friend yes and the moment they forgive you and your friends again how do you feel or with your parents or with your relatives you feel amazing with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it's the same you feel an iman that is rising a connection to Allah that's number one number two a sign that your tawbah has been accepted is the wrong that you did before it you start to hate it every time you think about it and you hate the things that remind you of it because the Prophet said a person who's truly repentant is the one who hates to be thrown who has to go back to their old sin just like a person will hate to be thrown into the fire into a blazing fire 
Another sign is that the things you didn't like before that Allah loves, you will start loving them. Yani, you'll start liking going to the masjid. You'll start wanting to listen to Quran. These are all immediate signs. Now, I don't know, some people it stays with them, some people it dies out again. But I'm just telling you the immediate signs of them. So, my brothers and sisters, these are three main signs. Number one, you feel a positive energy rising. This is Iman, straight after it. A relief, a happiness. Number two, you start hating the sin. Like really, every time it reminds you of it, you, don't, you really don't like it. And number three, the places and things you didn't really notice or didn't like before, you start liking them now. Quran, Salat, Sadaqah. You actually really enjoy them. They bring you happiness. And then it's either temporary or it continues for people until the next sin and until the next repentance. Thank you, Shaykh. Uh, why does our Iman drop after a season of Ibadah? For example, Ramadan, Dhul-Hijjah, Shawwal. Um, and how to remain steadfast all the time? Oh, that's a long question. Yeah, look, very simply, uh, it's very obvious. Our Iman decreases and increases. In fact, it's the Hadith of Prophet Iman Yazid, the uh, fundamental of all the scholars, I said, Iman rises and falls. Now, Iman rises and falls naturally because you are a human being. You have desires, you have hormones, you have uh, uh, pain, you have struggles, you have all these things. In Ramadan, it rises, for example, because the atmosphere is everywhere. And that's the thing that makes the Iman rise when everybody comes together and does it. Why do you think we have Eid? Why do you think Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes all these collective things happening? Because the spirit, you feel the energy. And it's true, I believe energy is transferred. <laughs> you transfer that energy. The Iman does get transferred. That's what Prophet said, you know, to, to shake hands and your sins drop because energy also. So when everybody is doing it, naturally you feel your Iman rise. People who start thinking, having doubts, they see everybody doing it, they say, man, there's something special about this. I feel closer to Allah. If this was wrong, why would there be millions of people who are doing the same thing? I'm missing out. Subhanallah. So in Ramadan, of course, um, this spirit, because of your belief as well, that you really do believe in Ramadan, you really do, do believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and a sign has happened. Look, there was a, a sister, a young girl, who asked me at, at school the other day, she says, I want to put on my hijab, but something's stopping me. And we tried to ask, and she couldn't pinpoint what's stopping her. She could find all the reasons to wear the hijab, the fact that she wants to is a sign from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but she doesn't know what it is that's stopping her. And then from here to here to here, she says, well, you know, my friend and the other friend who put on the hijab, and the other friend who put on the hijab, you know, all of them, they like had a sign. They had a sign on, in life. So what's the sign? This one had this sign and that one had that sign. This one saw a little squiggly thing in the clouds. It was a sign from Allah or something. This one had a dream. So sometimes signs come to us and our Iman rises and then we forget these signs and the signs and then our Iman drops again. Sometimes my brothers and sisters, we, we get distracted. Just obvious things, we get distracted. Sometimes we listen to things a little bit more often than what we shouldn't, you know, because in Ramadan, what, what do we do with our ears and eyes? The majority of us, we restrain them, don't we? The fact that you restrain them automatically has an automatic response on your heart. It cleanses it. Good deeds wipe away bad deeds. So when I stopped doing these good deeds after I was doing them, obviously the heart becomes dirty again. Now, you now some people they say, why is my Iman? What can I do? There's no magical formula. It doesn't work like that. All you've got to do is this. You ready for it? Just do it. <laughs> no, Allah, this is our statement. Just do it. Like it's in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَقُلِ Say, do. As soon as you start a step, 
subhanallah, another step opens. And then suddenly you find your iman coming back. Another thing, brothers and sisters, is try, you know how when you get bored of the same activity in life, what do you do? Find another activity, another hobby, isn't it? And you renew it, correct? Isn't that right? You get married, years passed, what do you do? Change the romance with the same wife. Try something new, right? Maybe go to the gym, halal gym. Maybe you want to do exercise. Maybe you want to change your diet. Do something new. Even in Salat, we say, Subhana Rabbil Azim, Subhana Rabbil Azim, Subhana Rabbil Azim, Subhana Azim. From the moment we die, we're born to the moment we die. Nobody ever changes the word. Subhana Rabbil Azim, Subhana Rabbil Azim. But did you know that there are about 50 different other things you can say instead of Subhana Rabbil Azim? The fact that you change it around, your iman is re renewed. Right? So my dear brothers and sisters, in a very, very simple matter, this is, this is how iman rises and falls. Two things mainly. Number one, you were doing something and then you stopped it and got distracted by something that is of less significance, usually materialistic things. Number two, you keep doing the same thing until you got so bored of it and it becomes a routine like an automatic robot. Change it up a little bit. Okay? Change it up a little bit. Maybe you want to go and try and find a new project for yourself about how to help people. You know, I saw a brother today, he says, I gave my qurban, I gave an uthiyah. I gave an uthiyah. I said, all right. He says, but my father called me from Lebanon and said, son, do you want to send money over? I'll do an uthiyah here because there's poor people. He says, but father, I already did the uthiyah. He says, well, okay, it's up to you. Then the brother, he called his father up and says, dad, I'm going to send you again for another uthiyah, just as a sadaqah. Now, it sounds very easy and simple, doesn't it? But he's never done that before. He's always done one uthiyah. Look how simple it is. He goes, Wallahi, ya akhi, the fact that I made that decision, I've never done it before, I felt a surge of iman again. Just by doing that. Why? You changed it up. You did something you haven't done before. You helped. You know that you've now invested some poor people that you don't know. Sometimes you might sponsor an orphan through some organization. They send you a picture of them. How do you feel? Amazing when you see things before your eyes. Isn't that correct? Do something you haven't done before that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves. Right? Sit with people who you haven't really spoken to before. Yani people who have a good sign, alhamdulillah, upon them. And you learn something from them. Right? So my dear brothers and sisters, there's thousands of things you can do, but these are two main formulas that I told you. Either you were doing something and now you stopped, like Ramadan and after Ramadan, naturally, your heart gets dirty again. You've got to do the good things and then he starts washing it away. There's no magical formula. Just do it and watch it wash away. You actually feel it. It's just a feeling. It'll come by itself. Number two, change up your acts of worship. Change up your projects and your good deeds. Do something new. Something that you, can, that you feel the reward for in a different way. And insha'Allah ta'ala. Now, has anyone done night prayer before? By, by yourself? People don't want to say it. I understand. So, night prayer has its amazing things. So, you, tonight, for example, go and make wudu. And just before you go to sleep, just do two rakahs that you've never done before. Heck, you know. Get Hasnul Muslim, Fortress of the Muslim, and learn a few phrases you haven't said before. Just make it colorful, something nice. Right? By yourself. Put your hands up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and tell him all the bad things you did this week. Try and remember them and say them. Oh Allah, I did this. I feel terrible. I feel like a, um, a cockroach. <laughs> I feel bad. Just keep saying these things. And then ask Allah to forgive you. Yani, these are some pointers. 
And don't worry, if your iman goes less, Umar ibn al-Khattab says, when your iman is low, then focus on stopping yourself from abandoning the farad things. And stop yourself from doing major sins. And when your iman is high, rush to do voluntary things. Shaykh, um, what's your advice on marrying someone from another continent? It is, is it possible to marry someone but live separate for a few years until I finish university and he finishes work? Jazakallah. Uh, that's a tricky question, that one. Someone's interested in someone from another continent. I know that. They want me to make them here. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, absolutely nothing wrong with marrying someone from another continent. We all know this. Every single Muslim on the face of the earth knows this. But some of us, it's hard for us to either accept for some reason, or maybe, and I agree with the second point, if there is a good reason that they're not going to be compatible because of drastic differences in their culture. I, I actually personally agreed with that. But that's my personal opinion. As for the Prophet wasallam and what the Quran says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, we have created you male and female and many nations and tribes so that you may come to know one another. And tafsir means marriage, family, relationships, coming together and expanding your family. And we all know from the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ, there was intermarriages galore. And it's very encouraged in the deen to marry. I mean, it's halal to marry someone within your family. It's also encouraged to marry outside of your family. However, the conditions today may be different. What is very important is compatibility. Are you able to get along with that person? What's the likelihood of you being able to live and grow together? Are there too many differences that will get in your way? You've got to use your brain with that. So, marrying someone from a different continent just like that, obviously I, we encourage it as the Quran does. But, using your brain and using wisdom and reason is also an obligation on the believer. Okay? Secondly, if there is compatibility, then go for it. And I urge the parents to please help their children not to delay. Wallahi, my son is now 16. If he is able to get married financially and mentally, he's able, even now, Wallahi, I will marry him to any girl that is suitable. Why? Because when we make the halal difficult, the haram becomes easy. And when we make the halal easy, the haram becomes difficult. Secondly, in this country, Muslims cannot, we can't compare ourselves to the West, to the non-Muslims. We can't. How? If they say, I don't want to get married, we can't afford to say that. Because they can have, they can have relationships at any, whatever. They do what husband and wife do. They get pregnant in de facto partnerships. We don't, we don't do that. We don't believe in zina. And you shouldn't live like that. Understand? So marriage is a solution for us. So my dear brothers and sisters, if they are capable of getting married, they're financially able and not too much, yani, able to live in a humble home, able to have humble furniture, and able to have a simple income, then let them go. What, what do we do then if we're married 10 years later and we become bankrupt? Do we get divorced and just throw our kids away? We don't do that, do we? So you've got to rely on Allah a little bit here. 
and not think too much about poverty and richness and materialism. This is not who we are, ya ikhwan. Allah has never left anyone out. Now, brothers and sisters, uh, marriage is from the Sunnah of the Prophet as you know. So long as there is compatibility, even from a different continent, it doesn't matter. So long as they're compatible and can get along. Brothers and sisters, secondly, the question, very good question there, it says, are we allowed to live separately after marriage until they are ready or until they're able to open up a home together? Is that what it means? Um, there's a, yeah, so uh, until um, she finishes uni and he finishes work. Okay, so finishes work. That's what it oh, says. You mean, I it's think it's probably a, a, you know, like a temporary until he's contract able to work. work. Finishes work. The guy won't have a work and won't have an income. That doesn't work. <laughs> There's no context. A bit confused. To this yeah, uh, go ahead. I mean, if the if the sister wants to finish uni to work and he rests, then that's fine. Why not? <laughs> anyway, anyway, brothers and sisters, look. Uh, the, the Rasul Sallallahu said, Ya ma'ashar al-shabab, he's talking mainly to the men. Man istata'a minkum al-ba'ata fil you is able to care for a family, to provide a wife and open up a home, simply, even simple, minimally, then get married quickly. Okay, that's the, the you've got to be able to look after a family. Now, living separately is an option these days, I believe. Like you can do the katb tab, that's what we call it in Arabic. Uh, you might call it nikah con contract. That's all right. It's the beard, it's hitting my beard. It comes with a package, guys. Brothers and sisters, when uh, you do the katb tab or the nikah contract, it's when like you get an imam or the wali is there, the girl's father is there, and you have two witnesses and the mahar is agreed upon and there's consent from both parties to marry then that's called a nikah contract. Aqad Qiran. Everybody know what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about the whole legal process when you get it registered and legally married. Now, that katbiktab, Islamically, makes it lawful for the boy and the girl, the husband and the wife, you know, to be physically for each other and go out together, they can stay alone together, and there's no haram upon them. If there is hardship in them living together and they know each other and they love each other and uh, you can see that it's better that they get married but finances stop them, then inshallah, nothing wrong with doing this katbiktab. No need to make it too public, celebrations and weddings and all that. Until they're finished, they can move in together. No, there's no haram in doing that. Like even if a husband and wife are already married and one day you say, look, um, you know, how about uh, I'm going to go work overseas for a little while. Maybe it might take me a year. I'll come and go. Aren't you allowed to do that? There is a reason for that. So long as you both agree and the husband and wife, they're in agreement. But my advice is never to prolong this too much. Because what happens is that people start seeing you, and I know some people may say, I don't care what people think. Like, you're lying to yourself. You do care what people think. It is important what people think. It's important what your family thinks. Because it affects your life. We don't live on, a, on an island by ourselves. There's other people who are involved. When you marry someone, you marry their whole 
family. You marry someone, you marry the whole family. Okay? <laughs> Put that in your mind. So, it's not good to keep seeing you going out a lot alone and you're not really living together. People start thinking there's something wrong with them. Maybe there's something wrong with the girl. Maybe there's something wrong with the guy. And God forbid, if the marriage doesn't work out, people might even have that stigma on the person, makes it hard for them to get remarried again or into another relationship. So all I'm saying is, don't prolong things like this. Marriage is meant to be husband and wife living together, supporting each other, growing together, being together, not really separate apart. But temporarily, if they're really not able, I, I don't see anything in our Sharia or in our Fiqh, any alim who, who disagrees with them living temporarily apart. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Alhamdulillah, only two questions left after this one. Uh, why is it halal to eat meat when it involves killing an animal? Are we not indirectly inflicting pain? Yeah, of course we are indirectly. We are directly inflicting pain. But, okay. Yeah, well, it says I know the, the questioner. We are directly inflicting pain on the animal. But the pain that we are inflicting is justifiable and halal. It's not haram. Brothers and sisters, if we're going to go by that mentality, really we can't live. Because I can sit here now and use so many arguments about nearly everything in life. Okay? I can tell you not to eat plants. Because plants have senses too. They feel. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forbids from cutting off branches. And they are alive. Even the rocks are alive. Organisms are alive. We're inflicting pain. But obviously this no one says something like that. So my dear brothers and sisters, the concept in Islam is not that we have been sent to this world and put on this earth to prevent pain. If we directly inflict pain for no good reason, and we could have avoided it, then that's when the sin is upon us. But it's impossible to avoid pain upon an animal that you slaughter. Now, you might be asking, but if I slaughter this animal, kill this animal in another way, where there's no pain, aren't there other ways? Inject them with something, for example, make them go numb, and then let them die peacefully without slitting their throat, for example. Then the counter-argument to that is, you will then cause harm to the human being when they consume it. It becomes unhealthy to the human being and not good. Because that blood, blood always carries the most diseases. Blood is the fluid, the heart, the liquid, the house of all diseases of the world. Doctors will tell you that. And that blood needs to be drained along with the adrenaline that comes out from the pancreas of the animal. And we slaughter it from here because the largest amount of blood is all drained from there, right? And it, uh, it does a whole lot of other things. It triggers the receptors in the brain, which triggers the heart rate, which triggers other organs of the body to flush all the blood out, right? And the animal is now fit and healthy and good for the human digestion to live. The one who created the, the, the world is the only one who has the right to tell us how we can treat his creation and how we're not allowed to treat it because he owns it and he is the one who said it has been made halal for you the an'am the livestock but on condition this is the way you got to treat it this is the way you got to slaughter it and so la, la, uh, what's the, 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 the formula in, that the scholars use is 
لا ضرر ولا ضرار. Do everything you can so that you don't cause harm to others and no harm is caused to you. So if I'm going to slaughter the animal, um, stop slaughtering animals, stop uh, um, you know um, going about doing like doing these things because I'm inflicting pain on them, then I'm also harming people. At the same time, if I just inject them and don't slaughter them, then I'm also harming people. So there is a balance. There is a balance. Allahu alam. Jazakallah khair. How to bring the families to Islam, like doing da'wah without severing ties? Um, so I think this how to is... give da'wah without severing ties? Yeah, to the family, to relatives. Well, brothers and sisters, that's an open question. Depends on the situation of each person. So what I would advise is that each individual who has a family of a particular attitude, you need to sit down personally, actually, with somebody wise, someone you trust. It doesn't have to be a sheikh. It can be someone wise and has the way of uh, you think that they know how to talk and know how to deal with people, and get try and work out an advice. Maybe sit with another family member and see how you can communicate with these people. Now, can I just say something about da'wah? Uh, Da'wah can be done in many ways. It's not just verbally talking. Sometimes it's in writing. Sometimes by gifting. Sometimes just with your attitude and your behavior. Don't we all agree? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that the reason that Rasulullah's da'wah worked with his companions was what? Was it the truth that he said to them? Do you think that the people listened to the Prophet just because he told them the truth? No. Do you think they listened to, the, to him because he was eloquent? No. Do you think he listened to, they listened to him because he continued to give them da'wah and insist? No. What is the reason Allah said that his people listened to him? That's right. His character to his approach towards them. So Allah says, فَبِمَا رَحْمَةٍ مِنَّا لِنْتَ لَهُمْ وَلَوْ كُنْتَ فَضًّا غَلِيظَ الْقَلْبِ لَمْ فَضُّ مِنْ حَوْلِكَ because of our mercy which we put in you. See, the mercy that you have, you treat people with mercy. You were able to attract them. And if you were to be harsh-hearted and rough in your approach, they would have run away from you. Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali, all of them would run away from you. Even if you spoke the truth. So, brothers and sisters, we need to use wisdom. I think that showing... If you can find out what is it that your family values the most, and then show them and use that Insha'Allah, slowly you can get them, whether it's through gifts, whether it's through nice words, whether it's just being, just being quiet and showing them uh, good treatment, visiting, talking about things that you both enjoy talking about. It doesn't have to be religion. Just by doing it, sometimes it'll work. I have a friend, for example. He is, uh, I won't say which background he's from. He can, he, he, his father used to drink alcohol and so did he. And then, alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guided his friend. And he started to preach to his father, his mother, his sister, his family. And they kept moving away. So one day I said to him, brother, stop preaching to them. And just do what you have to do and mind your own business. And be good to your parents. But don't bring religion into the picture anymore. So he says, I started praying. Sometimes I pray in the lounge room. At the time I was praying in my room. I'd help my mother, my language changed, I stopped swearing, I stopped this. And one day my father by himself, I come home and I see him spilling all the wine, they're Muslim family, but they were very uh, ignorant, he's spilling all the wine bottles and the alcohol out in the street. He says, what happened? 
He says, I watched my son becoming better than me. And I saw some peace in you. And I felt ashamed. He made da'wah to himself. And now his father does more night prayer than his son. Alhamdulillah, his mother's somewhat guided. And his sister, alhamdulillah. And his other members of his family, his brother, his cousin. The point of that is, it's trial and error. But the, 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 num the golden rule is your character and treatment. You melt someone with your treatment. And the treatment is make them feel important. Make them feel important and valued. You listen if they're saying the wrong thing. You respect their home if you're not allowed to do certain things. And approach them from the angle that they love, except for the haram. If you stand a, a stance of integrity and say, no, look, it's okay, you guys enjoy yourselves, I'm, I won't take part in that. Now, if that's the thing that's going to sever the ties, you don't obey them. But never cut them off. You continue to come, even if you think they've severed the ties. Nuh never gave up on his son until the waves came and took him. The waves. He kept with his son, didn't cut him until the waves. I know a sister whose uh, child, whose uh, son left Islam. And he said to me, what should I do? I said, don't cut your communication off with him at all. Even if you minimum continue to communicate even till his death. Because Nuh did not leave his son knowing he's a kafir until the wave took him from him. Like he's speaking to him. Ya Bunayyar Kamma'ana, oh worship Allah, na na, I'll go. But such. He's talking still, and the wave's talking. So we don't give up on them. That's all I can say. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala assist you and help you. And remember, severing of ties, you're not the one who's severing it. They're the ones who are severing it if, they, if it's because of religion or deen. But my advice to you is continue to keep contact with them until there's no more avenue like Prophet Ibrahim salam. His father said, I'll kill you if you don't leave me. Then he left and still as he's leaving, I will ask Allah to forgive you, dad. He is merciful. And his dad swearing at him, get out of my face. I will still ask Allah to forgive you. And I forgive you. Yes. So this is how we live, inshallah. Last question from the sisters. And then after that, I have a critical question as well, Sheikh. No. Um, how do you cope with iman dips um, of your spouse and encourage them to the obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Yeah. We get this question a lot, subhanAllah. A lot of sisters have asked me this question. How do you deal? My husband doesn't go to, doesn't pray fajr, my husband, my husband. Sometimes the husband says, my wife refused. One, one brother actually uh, said to me, my wife um, doesn't put on the hijab. And one sister says he doesn't pray the fajr prayer. And he cuts his prayers off. So uh, the brother who married the sister without hijab, I said, did you marry her that way? He said, yes. I said, well, yeah, you're going to have to take your time. Be patient. Should I divorce her? You have children? No, don't. No. No, now Allah has put her with you as da'wah. If you let her go, she's going to get worse. Does she believe in Allah? Does she pray? Alhamdulillah, then you'll work on it, inshaAllah. Listen, your wife will see through the way you treat her and how Islam has changed you. 
That's how women are. Allah gave him a sixth sense. It's not through talking and yip-yapping. She watches and she wants to feel that she's important to you. Anyway, the sister says, my husband doesn't wake up for Fajr or whatever it was. We say to her, Ya Ikhti sister, you can only do what is in your control. What is within your control? Within your control is to advise your husband, number one. If he doesn't listen, then you continue to raise your children in an Islamic way. If he gets involved, you continue to raise your children in his absence. There's divorced people who have a bitter conflict with each other, isn't that correct? But when the children are with the father or with the mother, they raise them. When they're not with them, خلاص, they're with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You do what you can. Allah says, fear Allah as much as you can. Now don't do more than that. Secondly, if that spouse does not listen and continues, so long as it's not something that is destructive to the family makeup and destructive, it's going to be hurtful and harmful. And the person has not left Islam, so destructive and harmful, dangerous, or left Islam, continue to be patient. That's my advice to you. And I've heard a lot of mashayikh say this too. Until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides them. You never know wallahi al-azim. You never know where the guidance comes from. It could be just from your patience. It could be like that friend of mine who just kept praying in front of his father until his father gave da'wah to himself. But I can tell you sometimes in family, if you tell people, because you're vulnerable, right? They can see a lot of your problems. So when you're together, as the, uh, some speakers, they say, when you first get married, mashallah, you're wearing big armor. One year passes, a bit of that armor comes off. The helmet comes off. Next year, the leg armor's gone. Then the back armor, then the front armor. You've got no more armor. What are you going to do? You're no longer the, the, the knight in shining armor. So they see your vulnerabilities. What can you do then? Sometimes your word is too heavy. You just be. And when they see that change, they see, what do people look at? They look at how you treat them. They look at your mercy. They look at your peace. They look at what you, how it has improved you. And when it, they see that improvement, Wallahi, they'll come with you, inshaAllah ta'ala. They'll, they'll follow you. They'll, they'll be like that, inshaAllah ta'ala, the way you are. You cannot force them. And the Prophet's daughters, not all of them embraced straight away. It took them time. Isn't that correct? His cousins took them time. One thing, do not cut them off. Do not put them down. Do not judge them. Just invite. If they don't listen, then you do your part. You do your part. And Sheikh, uh, on behalf of PGCC, brothers and sisters, are you willing to become a regular speaker at PGCC. I feel like that brother who I got embarrassed before. <laughs> now I'm embarrassed. Um, yeah, I, me, I would love to and I'm willing. But, you know, being willing and able are two different things. So if I'm able, inshallah ta'ala, like today, we'll come down. Inshallah. Barakallah. I give lectures every Thursday nights, and it's on uh, live streamed on face my Facebook page. My Facebook page. 
But anyway, if you want to watch uh, the lectures every Thursday nights, inshallah, press the mosque again, because I live on the other side, brothers and sisters. So inshallah, if you want, we can do that. And Brother Tahseen and Brother Amr have never left me alone, mashallah. So long as they, you guys have got them, they're not going to leave me alone. You'll see me here again, inshallah. Jazakallah khair, Sheikh, for coming down tonight um, and sharing your words and motivational piece. We all, inshallah, we all blessed um, and benefited from it. On behalf of Pillars Guidance Community Centre, uh, brothers and sisters, uh, it's a small token of appreciation. It is a glass trophy uh, acknowledging um, yourself. Um, SubhanAllah, Brother Abdullah, uh, he went to pick up the trophy. Who's Brother Abdullah? Abdullah Hamimi. I, well, I think I know why he ran out. MashaAllah, his, uh, his biceps are capable of doing you know, 100 kilograms of dumbbells. Uh, he did drop this very heavy 500 gram trophy. Um, inshallah, we will get a new, uh, um, a replacement one. Uh, it's a small token. Jazakallah khayt for coming down. May Allah reward you and bless you and protect you. Oh, okay, I get Yeah. Jazakallah khayt. Takbir. 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 Thank you, Mr. Dua. Thank you. Thank you.